friends, welcome back to another episode of the Deep Place podcast. Wherever you might be in this wide world of ours, whatever you are going through, whether you're experiencing some freedoms in your country or your state at the moment, or whether you might be still facing lockdowns, etc., etc., whatever your life looks like now, uh, my hope is that creativity might give you a way through uh, and a beautiful way to experience life in all of its depth. Today we're going to be going into quite a full-on topic and I need to say that from the get-go. This is a beautiful conversation, an important conversation and a really hard conversation uh, that I have today. It's with my friend Laura Lindsay who um, has used her creativity and writing uh, especially so to find some sense of healing uh, amidst going through... um, the the horrific experience of uh, miscarriage, of losing a child in that way. Uh, So for those of you, this is a a warning at the start, for those of you who have experienced such a thing, um, just be mindful that we talk a lot about that in this episode. Um, And it's, uh, as I said, it's an important conversation. Even just now in Australia, they have just uh, led, the federal government has just legislated that there will be finally some paid leave, compassion and bereavement leave for women who have experienced miscarriage. And I must say, finally, I kind of couldn't even believe um, that this wasn't within our, um, this wasn't within our legislation. This wasn't a thing that was happening, uh, that people who experienced miscarriage were expected just to either um, take time off with no pay uh, or just to be at work. Like, that's completely ridiculous. We have sick leave for when we have colds and the flu, but the loss, the grief of something like this. Um, so hopefully this is taking steps now toward something changing in our in our country, in Australia, my country. And, um, and I'm not sure what it looks like for you overseas, but this, um, this is an important conversation to have around uh, loss and around grief and around creativity's place to bring healing in that. Um, hopefully this conversation will stir uh, those who haven't really thought about this issue and for those who have experienced it deeply may it bring some sense of um, healing toward you and and your family and listen just as a double whammy in today's episode you'll notice it's a very long episode um, because of the kind of conversations we were having um, we also talk a lot within this episode about Laura's work um, with within victims of uh, sexual abuse. She's been uh, working with Child Safe, um, specifically in relation to the Royal Commission around uh, child abuse within religious organisations, uh, and she's been trying to bring change in that place for a long, long time. And so, uh, as you listen today as well, um, just to bring two massive, intense conversations together into one podcast, we do talk a lot uh, around this uh, issue as well. And so, please be mindful uh, from your own experience of, of what you can handle in terms of listening to uh, conversation around abuse especially within religious establishments. Um, friends, this, all of these, all of these hard conversations are things we'd rather ignore sometimes. I know I would. Um, I would much rather just kind of forget about, uh, and that's my privilege, is that I, 
I can forget about these things um, because I haven't personally experienced it, but I know so many people who cannot, and therefore it is my my duty, my prerogative, my way of loving neighbor, of loving others, to to learn, to listen to the stories of people who have experienced such full-on things within their life. So um, please spend the time, I know this is a long episode, but spend the time to listen to this conversation because it's so important. Uh, Thank you, friends, for listening to The Deep Place Podcast. I'm here in Melbourne in, what's this suburb called? Hamilton, is that right? Hampton. Hampton? Hamilton? (laughs) Maybe I'm thinking of the Hamiltons somewhere in... No, there's a, there's a Hamilton uh, out yonder a couple of hours Who away. knows? I've been there. I've we're been there in the Hamptons now. Yeah, we're in, we are, we're beachside at the Hamptons. We're beachside no, at we're the bay, Hamptons. Well, we're bayside. Bayside, we're bayside. Bayside. I'm sitting here with Laura Lindsay uh, and we are hanging out at her place and I've invited Laura to be on The Deep Place. Welcome to The Deep Place podcast. Thank you and thank you for having me and I'm excited uh, to be here. Great. Um, and like always, when you and I get into conversation, it mm. goes in all like kinds of directions. Who knows where and, we should go. Yep, so <laughs> let's go there. Yeah. And we, we go there like, yeah. just as I said to you before we started, just go there. Just go there. Yeah. Just Let's just go there. <laughs> yeah. um, we, I think I've known you for what? Um, a year and a half, two years. So two yeah. years ago. Yeah. So um, you were at that point. I met you, and um, I, as I met you, I didn't realize that your life had kind of really fallen apart in many ways <laughs> <laughs> over those previous uh, yeah. months before that. There was like, yeah, just everything had the the. Let's be honest, the wheels had come off. Yeah, the wheel the wheels had come off in more than ways than one. Yeah. Um, but. Outwardly, I was holding it. Outwardly, together. you were holding it together. You yeah. were uh, running a conference for hundreds of people. In fact, <laughs> hundreds of people from all like lots and lots of <clears throat> different denominations within yeah. Christianity. Yeah. Um, what what is it? Tell tell people what you do and why you were getting me to come and do okay. stuff. What's um, what's your life been okay. looking like? Okay, so I have just recently finished up in that role end of last year, but. Part of that role uh, as a national coordinator in that space for the National Council of Churches, I um, had to organise a conference every couple of years. So it was the first uh, conference post the Royal Commission. There'd been many conferences since the Royal Commission, but it was part of this program that it happens every couple of years and they pull together professionals from across um, like different um, organisations and Mm. sectors. So... This so one, give us some background on that because people, especially overseas, may not realise okay. what Royal Commission you're talking about. Oh, okay, so right. What was All your right. role? Yeah, yeah. Let me backtrack. <laughs> so uh, the Royal Commission into Institutional Child Sexual Abuse within the church in Australia mm. uh, was a, obviously a, a commission that went for uh, a number of years. I started in my role the week that the Royal Commission recommendations came out. So there was a Royal Commission into the church that went for a number of years. Um, Over uh, 8,000 survivors of child sexual abuse came forward to tell their story. And as we know, that 
that's not all the survivors. Obviously, that's not all the survivors. I mean, yeah. these are really courageous people that have come forward to share their story. Yeah. Uh, and they're coming forward to share their story about being sexually abused in our church institutions. Wow. But how I arrived in that role was actually quite interesting because I went into my passion was at risk young people, like yeah. it, and it always was. So I went through a number of different roles, you know, worked with kids that have been kicked out of school mentored kids in schools a lot of those kids that I mentored for a couple of years ended up disclosing abuse to me like sexual or physical yeah uh then I went into out-of-home care work for quite a number of years and worked in teams in residential care and uh did a bit of casework and developed a real passion and heart for disadvantaged kids but particularly children that have been abused yeah um so I, you know, in my twenties, I was working with a lot of kids that had been sexually abused, and when you have worked with children who have been severely sexually abused, physically abused, you know, emotional abuse, neglect, you know, all that kind of stuff, mm. that work never leaves you. Yeah. So fast forward now, you know, when I left that work, yeah, I actually went into doing some study. I'd, I'd actually got to a point where I thought. This work is so heavy. Like I started asking the big questions. Like I didn't have a faith background at that point in time, like in my mid-twenties. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> I was working with a number of kids that were starting to question like the biggest stuff, like the spirit- spiritual questions. Yeah. Like if there's a God, why did I get sexually abused? Yeah, yeah. Like those kind Fair of questions, questions were coming up yeah. with teenagers, you yeah. know. Um, and, you know, that like I started asking questions myself and mm. I just found myself going actually i i actually think i want to go into this path of theology like not (laughs) (laughs) which is kind of what all my friends did like what (laughs) like the church you mean like you want to study this stuff and i was like yeah i actually want to do some study in this area like it really interests me yeah but i had no um no plan for Mm. where that was going to end like Mm. so you know, I'd, I'd left out-of-home care work for a little while but ended up going back to it when I was studying. Yeah. And um, fast forward 10 years, so I'd done my master's in theology. I had all this sort of work in my, like, you know, from the time I was like 21, 22 to sort of 30, yeah. working with these kids that had been abused. And then all of a sudden, you know, fast forward another few years, there's a royal commission happening yeah. in the church. Yeah. and. Had you have said to me when I started doing the theology study, you're going to have a role that combines both of the things you've been doing, I would have kind of gone, what? Yeah, yeah. So I'd ended up in this role working with the National Council of Churches. There's 35 denominations. We're talking everything from Catholic to Salvo to Anglican to Coptic to Baptist to, you know, everyone in between kind of thing who... um, wants to engage as a council you know with us so part of the council uh, is a program called the safe church program and so this program has evolved over like a decade the program itself has actually evolved and it's evolved from passionate people Mm. not necessarily like the paid role that i had had only been around for a couple of years so before that it was people out in the different denominations saying we need to have a collective conversation about Mm. what's going on in this space and people that are passionate about child protection you know anywhere where there's children 
you need to be having this conversation and it doesn't matter like what sector you're in yeah child safety is so critical yeah, yeah and if you don't have people managing like the processes and keeping an eye on it yeah. and keeping up to date with legislation and keeping up to date with you know what are the policies and procedures we've got to put in place but not only that it's not only the policies and procedures and keeping up with the legislation it's the conversation mm. about child safety mm. so the the reason we had the conference is because um, we'd had the Royal Commission yeah. and, you know, the church had failed yeah. massively, yeah. you know, and there were conferences before this leading up to the Royal Commission. Yeah. However, we had, um, we had the luxury of being able to say, okay, there are so many experts now in this field, yeah. um, you know, in research and, you know, trauma-informed practice and, you know, all those kind of different areas. Like, can we bring you all together to have a conversation? Mm. But but as you know, in the room, the people that come to that conference are church people of yeah. all different levels. Yeah. Survive you have some survivors there. Yeah. You have people that are like researchers and run organizations and yeah. they're right across all of these spaces. So it's a it's a space where um, I mean, you were there. Yeah, you thought uh, you'd invite a poet into that space. I thought I'm, I'm just <laughs> going to invite a poet because I don't know how this is going to go like yeah. down. You know, like it's volatile. A, it, like it's, it can be a yeah. volatile space yeah. Yeah. when you have got, especially like we had keynotes that are survivors. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. and and to be able to listen, like listen intently and deeply and sit in a room like the courage of people i have met a couple of amazing survivors yeah especially ones running organizations so you know there's a great organ like i won't name the organizations but i know of a couple of ceos running organizations that are survivors of sexual abuse and i just i have so much uh like awe and appreciation for these people because i've heard some of their stories and i just think wow, like you are now running an organization mm. leading mm. the charge on prevention response and you have been like what they have been through is like phenomenal and, yeah. you know, so. And coming to a, coming to a conference to speak directly to you, the institution that caused the that damage. caused the damage, like that's massive. It's huge. It's huge. And when you work in the space in safeguarding, you know yeah. we have a long way to go. Yes. And I think that that's that's the bit that is unsettling when you know you're bringing survivors into a space. Yeah. And I mean the survivors are you know doing amazing stuff, but it's like I know full well I'm sitting in a room with people that still haven't stepped up to the plate. Yeah, wow. And they still haven't owned it. Yeah. And they still don't actually, like, they're not taking responsibility for their... The damage. The damage. Yeah. You know, and I think it's one thing to tick the boxes. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's one thing to go, right, here's my, you know, policy and here's my statement and here's how I'm going to recruit people and here's... That's, like, that's one thing. But, you know, that whole thing around culture change and, like, the dialogue, Yes, that is another thing that remains to be seen for me, I think, even being in the space for three years. Yeah. I've seen a lot of box ticking. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not actually seeing huge hmm. shifts in, like, ownership and conversation. That's like, scary, isn't it? Um, 
there is amazing i'm not taking away from the amazing work that's being done but it's a really interesting dynamic i think if we want this culture change to happen we've got to look at the generational like conversation and if the if the conversation at the top which is where the structures weren't safe yeah if that conversation is not changing and you but you've got the conversation you know with your safeguarding people who kind of like me like lay people or you know ex-legal or whatever that's great and if you're teaching the kids how to speak up yeah but if you're not changing the structure at the top you know are we going to get the culture change that we're actually talking about getting quite angry yeah to be honest like I was getting quite angry that the conversation wasn't shifting as yeah. fast yeah as you know we're th- what three years three years past the Royal mm. Commission and I'm still I was still having conversations with people around what policy do I need to put in place yeah <sighs> this is this is not hard yeah like why are we finding keeping yeah. children safe hard like yeah. to understand yeah my my personal values are, you know, love, justice, peace, compassion. Like yeah. they're pretty simple values. Yeah. And when you're looking into a space going, okay, so really holistically, mm. everyone from what I can tell is talking about love, mm. compassion, mercy, justice. Like, but I'm actually not seeing these values being played out. Mm. If if we're having whole sections of our community, like, yeah. uh, where we're excluding people and we're harming people, and especially, you know, we're just talking about conversion therapy yeah, and things like that. Yeah, a big that, thing happening here at the moment. a huge thing. And it's like, mm. you know, I, I just think I'd got to a point where I'm like, I'm not actually willing to make these sacrifices anymore. Mm. Like, I'm not willing to say okay i work within an organization that represents multiple views mm. therefore i'll hold back on mine yeah, yeah um and and there's it's very difficult like i'm a woman that in itself is a change yeah like bringing more women into the conversation yeah you know yeah. and it's like women need to be in this conversation around keeping children safe the role of women in child safety is so critical mm. you know because mm. we bring a brief, different lens to the table yeah um and i think I got. I was getting to the point of just being so frustrated in, yeah. you know, go to another workplace and it's all about, you know, diversity and equality and, yeah. you know, like there's much easier jobs you can have <laughs> yeah. if you want to work in an inclusive and diverse workplace. Yeah. It was it's probably a good thing it wrapped up at the end of the year because um, especially last year, like during lockdown, I did a couple of, um, did a bit of work with, safety commissioner so looking into like online sexual abuse yeah. and you know that behavior and we worked with the e-safety commissioner wow. on you know just even getting into the how how like predators think you know mm. and and what we're trying to safeguard the kids from and mm. i did some work with a man called carl collins who is uh he specializes in you know persons what we call persons of concern so sex offenders yeah. who you know are religious or clergy who want to remain in the faith community and that work was quite intense i found because we're talking about like you're getting right into sex offender stuff yeah and the different types of like 
um, offenders and their profiles and their psychological profiles and, you know, that kind of stuff. When, When you're trying to have like, you know like quite a simple faith yeah. you know when you're trying to hold something for yourself yeah i found that unbelievably heavy yeah um and like there's so much to it and there's it's so many so areas intense. of it like yeah. so you're trying to juggle like thinking through survivors and um like victims perspective and then you're trying to think through the faith aspect of it and the spiritual abuse side of it and then you're trying to think through just the basic principles of love compassion justice mercy. like <laughs> yeah. where did we like, where did we fuck that up? Like, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and think in the end, it be quite, became quite frustrating trying to manage all of those things. And then you'd have a day where... It sounds you, impossible. You, it sounds like You have impossible. a day where you think through, like, sex offend, Like, you've been doing something on sex offenders and it's like, you just want to go and puke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you just want to... understandable. Like, but, again, I've been, quite, I've been challenged on that, like, because... The behavior is bad, but yeah. think through like where the where are is real your people as well. Their people, yeah. and and that I have found so to hard. be the most challenging mm. aspect of it. Um, mm. And yeah, that like finding their humanity, finding the humanity in it when yeah. so much harm has been caught. Like you know, people committing suicide. You know, mm. people who never ever get out of the sheer trauma of it mm. you know what i mean and mm-hmm. that that's what you th- that's what is going through your head every day and and then trying to kind of go well where's the faith element in like where's yeah. the where's the spirituality in all of these how do you see god now like because how do you hold that question of the great suffering that you've seen? Because you have, I mean, it's so important what you're doing and have been doing, and it's not enviable by, I don't think anyone would want to be It's not in your place trying to hold all that you've been talking about together. Mm. Um, it's how, not a sexy job. Like, you know no. how some people get sexy jobs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like models. To, like, I don't know. Like, people just. Oh, you could go from this I'm to in, being I'm a model. In, <laughs> that would work. I mean, like, you know, comms, I'm marketing or oh, yeah, something yeah. really cool. Like, yeah, yeah. You know. No, I work with the church. And I work with predators. And, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm for <my> head hurts. <laughs> how, how do you hold the God thing? Like, how is there a God who lets this happen? Have you been able to hold that, or is it. I, can, I don't think you could ever reconcile that, could you? But. Yeah, I. You're right. That is a pretty hard question. Um, <laughs> probably the hardest question probably, anyone yeah, could like, ever ask you know, about God yeah, and suffering. Oh, I, I can't even probably answer that question. Yeah. Like without feeling like I'm going to fall massively short of some theological. Yeah. You know, like the deep theological conversation on it. I think yeah. I'm going to fall short on giving you an answer, and I can't. I can't reconcile it yeah the only thing i guess when you see the only thing that gives me hope and this isn't the god question but the thing that gives me hope is seeing a lot of a lot of survivors and victims don't recover and they don't you know they don't ever fulfill they don't even know themselves because the trauma has been so heavy but seeing people 
like move through it and get to the other side. Yeah. And, you know, I hope that's not like a Pollyanna kind of response. Like, you know, people do get through it and, you know, I have met some of the most incredible people that do get through it. Mm. Um, And you see, like, it's almost like they go through this, like death to self, Mm. you know, like everything that goes along with, you know, a lot of them have been in dealing with their trauma, like, you know, quite dysfunctional, dysfunctional relationships, drugs and alcohol, like suicide attempts, what, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's like the theological question I probably can't answer, but I think when you see people Mm. move through it Mm. and you know of course it's not something that they'll ever recover from Mm. fully um and then they go on to be these freaking amazing like advocates Mm. and you know i just think no it's never ever ever Mm. okay and it's never ever Mm. you know it should have never ever happened but then you think about the richness and what these people bring hmm. to our society that do make it to the other side. Yeah. And for me, I kind of like that's the hope for me, yeah. I guess, is that, you know, these people actually do get to the other side and they do get through their, like try and work through their trauma. And I don't know that that's the hope I've taken out of it. Yeah. You, you get know. to meet the most courageous people in the world like that's like i've just got goosebumps when you said that like um i i can't think of you know the courage and the Mm. like just fucking determination Mm. Mm. (laughs) to keep going yeah like just keep fucking getting up and having another go at it and having another go at it like but for me, the whole question around God and suffering and why do some people suffer? Why do some people suffer more than others? And yeah, um, it is not. Uh, I just I don't know the answer to that question. No, and I don't think and anyone I, has. I don't think anyone knows the yeah. answer. And and I wonder <laughs> bringing it, um, bringing it back to creativity and to uh, bring it to creativity and to you inviting me into this space as a poet. Um, I wonder if. You know, like creativity speaks to the things that are too hard to talk about. Yeah. Um, and it like it was such an honour for me to come into that space and to offer what I could in terms of words and to um, to listen, like just to be as present as I could and listen to um, to the victim, to the survivors, um, and to be able to speak poetically into that is um like a huge honor and it's the uh, really for me it like sits at the foundation of creativity yeah to um to listen and then speak into the hardest stuff in the world that there are no answers for the question of god and suffering the how the heck does someone go through an experience like this like Um, no wonder, no wonder our creativity is like therapeutic and cathartic for so many of us because it's, it's able to do this. To be able to bring creativity, Mm. as you were just saying, like, Mm. I'm not a creative full time, but I did recognize the beauty about creativity and about your poetry and things like that is that you don't actually lead people to the answer. Mm. 
Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. most people don't want to be led to the answer. They just want to be able to open themselves up. Yeah. Yeah. To sort of sit with it. But yeah. so I knew knowing knowing what the space was, like sexual abuse, clergy, survivors, I just knew you'd be able to do it. Yeah. And, I'd, you know, that's a compliment, a massive compliment to you because I don't know if there's many people I could trust <laughs> yeah, yeah. to, like, be able to do that and, yeah. and just do it well. Yeah. Um, but what a wonderful, like, what a wonderful invitation to all the artists who are listening in whatever, like, practice and form that they have that perhaps a beautiful thing to think through is how does your creativity speak into um, into the community, into society, into places where there is such friction in our world yes. of such divisiveness yeah. and friction. Yeah. Like that's where we are, that's where our creativity calls us to be. Yeah. Like being the in between two divisive forces that could easily yeah. lose it, whether it is what we've been talking about or yeah. whether it's left and right and progressive and conservative yeah. and all this stuff that's happening, creativity can sit in the middle of that and offer and hold a space that goes beyond the argumentative, beyond the reason and the rational, down to this heart space where yes. we can begin to, It maybe it's the thing that we can begin to see each other's humanity through once again. So the um, conference happened and we got to come and share at that. Um, and then um, uh, coming out of that, I began to learn a little bit more about your story. Um, and I was running um, Clearing in the Forest, which is my creative process kind of course. And you were like, oh, yeah, I'll come and do that. Yeah. Um, uh, I'd love to kind of chat about how these two things came together in terms mm -hmm. of your own, because we've talked a lot about your role and all that kind of mm -hmm, stuff. But mm -hmm. um, in the midst of going <clears throat> through all of that, you also went through, have gone through some really hard things. Mm. Um, and then uh, the clearing in the forest course became a bit of a, a creative outlet or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. So we can get to that in a second. Could you tell us... Um, if you're willing, just just some of your story, like in the background of all of that that you've been working in <clears throat> is your own personal life. Sure. Um, Going on alongside of all that, so the conference was 2019, yeah. yeah, like September. So going on at the same time as the conference, and I mean, I don't need to really go into a huge amount of detail of that. I was going through a divorce, yeah, uh, which was stressful enough as it was, but... Um, before the marriage breakdown, um, the few years leading up to that, like when I was married, obviously, um, my husband and I had been going through IVF, yeah. uh, and you know, I just first round we did in 2017, like yeah. so two years before I met you, like we sort of started that process, but, um, yeah. we, we had been trying, like, since we got married. We got married 2014. Yeah. And we'd been together, like, for a while before that. Um, had you always wanted kids? Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. I, I had always thought, really, even though it was something I wanted, I, I guess getting to that point where I was ready to start was a whole other thing. Mm. But when I got married, I was well and truly ready to start. Yeah. Um, but you know, a few things sort of in my upbringing, like I had to kind of overcome a few other things mentally to kind of yeah. get there sort of thing. 
Um, so I think that was the thing. Like by the time I'd got married and met my partner, you know, he had been engaged before and he was a few years older than me. So yeah. we met, I was 35 and he was a few years older than me. So it was kind of one of our foundational right. things. Yeah, yeah, like to have a kid. we want to have kids yeah, yeah, and yeah. we want to have kids sooner yeah. rather than later. Like yeah. we already felt like we were kind of, you know, well and truly behind the, yeah. you know, the most of my friends were on their second, third yeah. by then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we were very much on the same page around, yeah, pretty keen for it to happen, mm. you know. We, so when we got married, I was like, great, honeymoon baby. <laughs> yeah, let's do I'm, it. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. Like, let, <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. do that. Um, and he was the same. Like, yeah. So no contraception from the get-go, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, but it didn't happen. No. And, and I remember saying to him, it's been a good couple of years. Like this, yeah. this is starting to look like what I don't want it to be mm. looking like. Mm. So... I started in September 2017. So the start of September, I re- like that year, like yeah. start of 2017, it might have even been the end of 2016, I went to this gynecologist, like this doctor, and I'll never forget it because he was just kind of this just quite quirky little man, really. Yeah. And him sort of saying, you're 37. <laughs> you know, why haven't you been wow. like looking into this sooner? Yeah. And I... Yeah, I just sort of got home and I said to my partner, like, I just feel like I've just got a massive lecture yeah. like, for not being onto this sooner. And yeah. we both kind of had the approach of it'll happen when it happens, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I'd had friends. I had a one of my, um, like, dear friends had, when we were in our 20s, she'd had severe endometriosis. Right. She went through something like 13 rounds wow. of it on her own Wow! and I just remember like now that I reflect on that I just remember thinking god what's she going through this is so yeah. full on like yeah. and she's doing it on her own but also not feeling like I don't understand I don't actually understand the depth of what she's going yeah. through yeah but I'll, I want to be here as her friend and support her and it wasn't until I started going through it that I was like you did how many r- <laughs> rounds yeah. of this yeah, like wow. you superwoman yeah so I'd had I'd had other friends that had been through IVF, yeah. And even though it was sort of in the back of my mind, I still yeah. never thought I'd have to do it, yeah, you know, yeah. which is ridiculous. But mm. so started the first round, two thousand seventeen, uh, September two thousand seventeen, and it very quickly goes from, you know, like the romantic notion of making a baby yeah. with your husband, yeah. On your honeymoon, like you know, all those kind of to a like very clinical to okay, take this injection yeah. at this time on mm-hmm. this day, mm-hmm. you know, and and the reality the reality of that sets in very quickly mm. because it's like, oh, okay, and he, you know, he masturbates, right? Great, like separate. I'm not even in the room, <laughs> and he's off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's his job. That's he's his job. job. He, um, you know, like, do you reckon you can handle it kind of thing? Like, you know, I'll, I'll do all these other things. Like, there'll be injections and stuff. Like, do you reckon you can, like, turn up in a room and, you know, <laughs> flick through a magazine and, <laughs> you know? Um, so, yeah. Anyway, so that was 
we we went through the first round yeah. and I just remember thinking, I hate this. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely, yeah. as far as any notion of it just being a beautiful thing between yeah. you and your partner, like... Out the window. Out the window. Yeah, so we went through that process and the first round just didn't work. Yeah. Um, and I... Oh, it just started to like, you know... This is like three years of trying, then the first round completely yeah. didn't work. Um, yeah, and it it start it really starts to weigh heavily on your relationship. Yeah, um, you know, it was becoming kind of like very apparent it this was going to be even harder. Right. Um, two weeks after the first round failed, I got made redundant. Right. Just and to add, just to add to, to the stress of it all, yeah, like yeah. you know, obviously quite expensive, and it was like a really, it had been really stressful. Like ten of our team got made redundant. Like the yeah. director got made redundant. Like it was a really, it was a massive restructure between two organisations, and our team got caught up in it. But that actually, the the baby and the redundancy, like actually put me in quite a bad downward spiral yeah. like I I actually hit a real low and the depress like oh, I was like on the lounge yeah. you know sort of quite depressed yeah um and I think I and like my partner was not coping particularly like I just kind of could feel the disappointment yeah you know and it's yeah. like I, I'm I I was sort of carrying that as well like I've really disappointed you mm. in not being able to do this you know, create a family. Mm. I was actually not great and ended up, had a bit of time, like lounged around for a bit and then got put on the medication and then the medication seemed to kind of pick me up a little bit. Mm. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I don't, I didn't want to take medication, but I think I was, I know for me, my own mental health. Yeah. And when I get to, when I'm bad, like, and this, hasn't happened for quite a long time. Like it's mm. generally significant events yeah. really put me in a spiral. But um, I just would wake up in the morning crying. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and it's like you've kind of got nowhere to go mm. when you wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is bawl your eyes out. It's like, yeah, no, nah, yeah. not coping. No. No. Nah. <laughs> so fast forward a little bit, I ended up, like I had some time off work, got put on the antidepressants, like got back into the gym, like all that kind of stuff. So it was pretty good. Like I kind of turned the corner, yeah. Build up the like, all right, let's have another crack Go at for it. A second. Let's have another crack at it. So then we started another round in April, like 2018. Yeah. It was slightly easier because I knew what I was in for. Yeah. Um, but it's a massive toll on your relationship. It's yeah. a massive toll on your sex life. Like, yeah. like it's kind of all consuming, yeah. you know. And I, and I just remember like every time. Even in between the rounds, like yeah. you're still tr trying, yeah, you know, yeah. in inverted comments, like, yeah. oh, well, maybe it'll happen naturally, like yeah. when I'm not taking IVF, like whatever. Yeah. Um, and it had just become all consuming. Yeah. Like all consuming that yeah. this was our. And I think in that, in having this as kind of the ultimate goal that will produce a baby, like the actual relationship was really suffering. Yeah. I, I was still really just feeling like, oh, I'm sort of fat, like I'm failing at my part of this relate. Like, I don't wow. know why I was carrying. I was just really feeling the pressure. I'm like, I'm now going into my second round. Like I'm getting now into my late thirties. Mm. Like you can, you can just sort of see 
you know, not the hope of it slipping away, but but kind of like it, it's all consuming. Mm. It is totally all consuming. Mm. Um, so we did round two and I actually did fall pregnant mm. and like I can't even describe to you like the weight like you have to wait between between the time when you know you have the they call it the transfer so you know it's put back inside you and then the time you, you do the pregnancy test and you find out like it's quite a wait like yeah. it's almost a couple of weeks yeah the nurse called me and she was like it's a yeah like congratulations you're sort of pregnant we were just so happy yeah. you know it was like the the joy of yeah. that in that moment it was like such this, delicious yeah hope. it was such oh. delicious hope yeah <laughs> like how you describe it and it's like finally we can kind of like get on with having a family yeah, and like yeah. you know we're both pretty stoked about it and then for a couple of months after that you were getting you know, ready for baby yeah we're getting ready for baby like you know we just bought a new house so that was good because we had an mm. empty room and it was like is this room gonna be you yeah know, filled up anyway so we're off like pricing cots and yeah. crams and yeah, yeah. like all you know like you yeah. go into full kind of like oh my god i'm having a baby yeah. like i'm so excited about it so then a f- couple of months into that i went for my scan and i had told my partner not to come again like I, I suppose I just had these moments of optimism like in all the kind of things that could have go wrong like yeah. I went to that scan like I was, sto- I was so happy yeah. you know I was like come from a scan and yeah. like so, you know what's going on in there like you know yeah. and I just rem- like so I was sort of talking to the nurse like yeah. I wonder what the baby's doing blah, 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 like really happy and then I could just tell like by her she just sort of shifted and the way that she was sort of pushing on me and stuff she go like and then she just said oh i'm really sorry like there's no heartbeat yeah oh and like like we're back to aching pain yeah (laughs) your whole world falls apart yeah and you know my partner wasn't there yeah and I just like she was sort of like when you're ready get up off the bed and I was like like what the fuck just happened yeah I came in here like so happy and excited and I'm walking out of here absolutely gutted you know and like it just took me a moment to kind of I just sort of laid there going what's just happened like what has just happened and how am I going to tell my partner yeah like I haven't even told him like and just sort of laying there going like and now what happens you know like in in, you know when you miscarry obviously you know you part like it passes through you yeah so you physically like you see it you see yourself and it was just the weirdest feeling because it's like so the baby is inside me. Yeah. But not alive. Like not alive. Yeah. And and then sort of going through that process of going, I don't want it in there. Like yeah. you know, you know, like just sort of wrestling with the mm. oh, I, I want it in there because I don't want to let go of it mm. because that might be it. Like, you know, because it had been so hard to get to that point. Um and it was a few days before you could 
pass like, the baby, is that right? Yeah, so like I came out of that and I rung my partner mm. and I was awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just like, because when he picked up the phone, he was like, how did it go? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And uh, it was just like this deathly kind of silence. Yeah. And then just, you know, and then driving home that night was just shit. Like I was so far away from home. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then it was like a week. Like I couldn't get in for a week for, so they call it DNC. Um, so basically you have to go under and, yeah. you know, they remove the baby. Yeah. Um, so. And you were like, when you're working as well, didn't you have to do a. So in between yeah. that, and I mean, this was my choice, but yeah. I, there was a meeting in Sydney yeah. that I was quite a significant, like yeah, a, yeah. A, quite a significant one with the Royal Commission Yeah, and I, it had been booked for months and we were leading a meeting with some of the like m- heads of churches and um, the person I was running it with is was always just such a really like dear person to me, like one of the Coptic um, priests. Yeah. And I'd, I'd had to ring him Yeah, and say like, I like, <laughs> this is I'm what's happened. Yeah, and he yeah. was like, don't come. Yeah. And I was like, well, like I actually, I didn't know what was worse. Like, yeah. you know, because my partner had kind of shut, down completely yeah yeah and i i kind of just had a moment of like i just want to get the hell out of here yeah of course <laughs> like i need to do something i need yeah. to get out of here so i yeah. ended up flying to sydney but i remember sitting on the plane and just thinking it was just such a like just knowing mm. that's inside of you yeah and you're walking around yeah. with it and you know went into this meeting and did a big presentation to basically a room full of men yeah and i <laughs> I just remember, like, sort of doing this presentation, like, just all of these factors of, like, you know, doing a presentation to a room full of men and thinking, you guys would never have to do this. Yeah. You would never have to stand up, like, in the midst of, like, you know, we talk yeah. about, in the process of telling this story, you, you and I were talking about love and loss, mm. you know, love and loss, and mm. we talk about that in the story, you know, standing in front of all these people but like you know presenting the iceberg of like everything's okay and i've got it all together and meantime like i'm actually like in the midst of grief and loss yeah massive and holding it physically inside you holding that grief that loss yeah yeah and then i came back and i don't know like i kind of knew like when i when i got back like he and i needed there was just conversations to be had and I sort of... There's not many relationships that could go through what you yeah, went through. Yeah, and I, I think at the end of the day, you know, when I went in and I went through the procedure like, yeah. and came out, like I just remembered feeling like I'd been through a bit of a sliding doors moment. Like yeah. because we got together when we were older, um, I think we kind of fast-tracked the let's really get to know each other and let's be like solid friends. Like we kind of fast tracked that, but because we had this kind of like, we're both on the same page about kids yeah, and we're both getting older. Like, so some of the kind of foundational things that you would take your time with, like if you're younger and you've got the time, like getting to know you and like really building that solid foundation. Yeah. 
So I think when it got to that point of like, it's been five years of trying, yeah. I failed round, now we've lost a baby. Like yeah. his expectation of me is that I would have just kept going mm. like round after round after yeah. round. But I, I just knew like I... I you can't. Couldn't. You couldn't. But but not only physically, like I just between us, yeah. The rela- I, the relationship. Yeah, yeah. I was like, every time we kind of go through this loss, yeah. Another piece shuts down. Yeah. So it it wasn't looking like. Yeah, just a lot of thought kind of went into the if you remove kids from the equation of this marriage, which mm. seems to be kind of our ultimate goal, which we were on the same page about. Mm. What else? <coughs> like, what else is there? And he wanted the babies, mm. and the babies wasn't happening. Yeah. So some pretty big, That's massive, like choices needed to happen, yeah. and I think. Um, so that led to the separation. That led to the separation, yeah. 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 So when was that? 2018. Yeah. And then met you and you were like, I'm doing this course. Yeah. And so by the time I met you, I was kind of like at the fullest point of like accumulated grief. Yeah. <laughs> like been through kind of all the baby IVF, then the marriage breakdown. And meanwhile, trying to hold this role together that was this massive role with so much like stress mm. Mm. so then you say to me i'm running a course called clearing in the forest just a little writing course it's just a writing course mm. called clearing in the forest mm. and i and i just was like i need a clearing in the forest hmm. <laughs> that, all, that yeah. sounds like what i need i need a clearing i yeah. need a clearing you know and i was just like full yeah and but yeah. i was full in the sense of Cognitively, it's all in my head. Yeah, you know what I mean. And when you were talking about the creative, like it's going back to that heart space, and I just think I was so numb, mm. I couldn't even feel my heart. Mm. <laughs> like I think I was so numb. I was like, I need to defrost. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, and yeah. I, mentally, I kind of have said to myself between two thousand seventeen and two thousand nineteen, I hardly cracked a smile. Yeah. I think. Yeah. You know, like, wow. and I did, but it's yeah. like, I just felt ugh, like so, like, frozen. Yeah. And, and for me, when you said, like, I knew there was stuff I needed to get out and I wanted to do that through writing. Yeah. But as you'd sort of said to me, like, it's, you know, it's kind of an inroad into how to go through that creative process and how to unpack those layers. Yeah. And for me, like having been through, you know, I've been through a bit of counselling here and there, like, I'm like, I need, that's not what I need. Yeah. I need to go through this. I need to write. I need to um, express myself in a different way. And even if it's only writing for myself. Yeah. um, You know, and when we started doing the course, you know, there was things in that course where like the first lesson you talk about um, being intentional. Yeah. About clearing a space. Yeah. Because I think I was just in my head. Yeah. And I'm like, how do I get all this out? Yeah. You know, and then you go through in that first lesson, you talk about ritual Mm. and saying, okay, set it, set up your writing space as a ritual. Like what are the things you do to prepare yourself to be intentional to write? That's so helpful to kind of go, you know, I'll lay in bed at night and go, blah, 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 write a few things in a journal, whatever. Like it's just a bit of like, 
Yeah. It's kind of an afterthought, like not an afterthought, but oh, this might, I'll get that off my chest before I go to bed. Yeah. But, um, so it did, it did give you the space to like the creativity gave you the space to actually go back into what had been happening over the last few years and to write it out. You wrote the story of all of this out. Yeah. How was that process? I think it was the thing now I'm on the other side of it that actually walked me through not only the grief, wow. but the the healing. Like it, it led me into the healing. Wow. Like being able to do that and not doing mm. it in a in with a count you know, like I had grief counselling as well. Um but there was sort there were certain things that you know, like we were talking about and I think through that process of like, you know, just going through the layers of it and unpacking it and, you know, giving yourself permission to go, all right, it doesn't actually have to be good when I'm writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lesson on, I, yeah. I think you've got a lesson on, like, just write something shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, oh, that's that's so great, thanks, because <laughs> most of it's shit. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but in doing that, like, you had a couple of lessons in there around identity. Mm. And what started to happen in that process of, like, writing out this story, which was huge and it took a while to kind of mm. shape it, um, a couple of things, like, that have come out of that are just so critical around identity yeah, and around belief, like, for me, like, belief systems. Mm. And, you know, the reason... And it's only you talk about, you know, the reflection, like how important like reflection is as well. And it's like so much reflection in the process of actually putting words on page. And it's only now like the, we finished the course, what, 12 months ago, longer. Yeah. yeah. And even just revisiting the last few days, it's like it's so clear to me, like the belief system that we had around we're in our mid-30s everyone's married we've got to tick the life boxes yeah otherwise we're kind of failing yeah you know like everyone's married everyone's got kids everyone's buying like you know this keeping up with the joneses joneses like crap but you don't have any of those boxes ticked no no but what the process has really looked like revealed to me is like not only the boxes, right? Like that's one thing. But mm. why did the boxes exist in the first place? Mm. Both of us had come from, he'd had quite a dysfunctional mm. like upbringing. Like both of our mums had been married and separated a number of times. Mm. So mixed and blended families. Yeah. Not a great relationship with his father. Yeah. I didn't even meet my father till I was 18. Yeah. So wow. like I just had the absence of of a father. Yeah. Yeah. The pressure I'd put in my, on myself. Like yeah, yeah. I need to find the right guy. Yeah. Like he's going to be a great dad, all these more boxes. Yeah. And, but that had come from a place of identity and I don't want my kid to know what it's like not to have mm. a dad. Mm. You know what? I, like, so all this stuff and, and whereas my partner was coming in from, well, mine treated me like shit, mm. so I'm going to be the ultimate. Mm. Like, so there was still this kind of shared belief of yeah. beliefs yeah. from our like identity. So yeah. our identity, like, we'd kind of come to a point of going, um, well, we're we're going to break this cycle. Yeah, like, and yeah. that was the ultimate kind of thing. But it's like it's not until I look back on that and I go, I'm now 42 and I got no boxes ticked. Yeah. 
but I've never been more happy with that. Yeah. Like I had to go through mm. all of this and the creativity and the writing and I look at, I, I still journal and things like that and it's like not that I'm writing to put it out anywhere but, yeah. I, but I, I often kind of reflect back and it's like, wow, I can really see the shift, mm. like the shift that has taken place. That's amazing. Like over, like, you know, and some of that's just maturity as well. Yeah. But the shift around even the mentality, like with me and my partner around, we have to fix this cycle kind of thing. Like we're, you're still coming at it from a point of lack. Yeah. Like yeah. it's still a deficit mindset. I yeah. didn't have this. Yeah. So I will create that yeah rather than kind of going which is where i'm at now of going it is okay Mm. i don't have to keep up with anybody Mm. i don't have to tick any boxes and i certainly don't have to try and create something that never actually existed in my own life Mm. and and so i've really been reflecting on that like what are the what are the amazing things for me about being raised by a single mother, mm. like a bloody strong one? Yeah, like mm. she raised three kids. Like yeah. you know, I had a stepdad in there for a little while. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, like she, my dad was quite violent, so she got us out of that situation. Yeah. Like got us into a place of like safety. She worked her guts out, and yeah. it's like, what are the lessons? You know. I, I've always come at it from a, like, I didn't have that. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I didn't have a male in my life and I didn't have that. And mm. therefore I'm going to marry someone and we're going to like create that. And mm. that's, that's a nice ideal. And as someone said to me, I don't know if they were taking the piss, but they, they said, Oh, it was a nice, it was a nice fairy tale that, you know, that thought that you had. Wow. And it was like, I don't know, like it's okay, yeah. you know, that that I might be in my 40s and I don't have children and it's like I've got to a place now of kind of going, fuck the boxes. Yeah. Like what do you feel? Like what are you feeling like you should be doing? And like what do you feel, you know, like – and it, for me it's like – I don't feel like I should be in a relationship actually. Mm. It's not actually what I'm feeling like I should be doing. Mm. I want to explore some creative things like photography. I'm starting Mm. to explore photography. Um, It's a really different place from when I met you. It it really (laughs) is. Like so different. Yeah, it really is. There's, you have going through all that you did. It's, It's fascinating to me, the correlation to the people that you have worked with who are survivors that we were talking about before. Like you have gone through all of this stuff and you have found your courage, your bravery, the strength of who you are, that um, all of these expectations of what was meant to be did not come to pass. Yeah. And in the midst of that and through beautiful, I love that it's so beautifully through writing, through creativity that you've come to own who you are. Like that again, for like people who are listening, that is the invitation really, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. to step into being okay with being um, 42, is that what you said, 42, and not having the boxes ticked. Like how many things, how many people are listening now going, all my boxes that I wanted Fuck. to be ticked and this happened, shit. this happened. Yeah, I and it didn't all happen. I haven't got the latest happen. car or I haven't got the bloody house or shit. Yeah, or, or that I'm single or that oh my, my God. thing yeah. fell apart or that I they lost a kid or whatever yeah. it might be. And you, yeah. like what a... Beautiful encouragement, you sitting here and saying, simply saying, It's all right. It's all right. Yeah. I'm okay. 
it's it's all right and mm. we're conditioned to think that you're if you haven't done all these things by the time you're 40 then you're you're mm. you're failing or the flip side of that is well you must be selfish if you don't have kids <laughs> and you like you've got and it's like the grass is not greener mm. on any side mm. <laughs> like you know what i mean mm. none of those boxes matter mm. but in saying they don't matter I'm on the other side of making like they were, they did matter. They yeah. mattered a lot. Yeah. But now it's a few years down the track, and I I I wouldn't I wouldn't take anything back. Hmm. Wow. I would I really wouldn't take anything back. Yeah. Um, because the reason that that you kind of just are where you're at, like you know what I mean. Yeah. Just be happy where you're at, like, yeah. and. I look back and I think I could have done that differently or I, you know, I rushed mm. into getting married. I did that. Mm. And it's like, I don't actually regret any of those things Yeah, because moving forward, the decisions that I make now are, will be based on connection. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, they will be based on like, do I feel connected to this person? Yeah. You know, do I feel connected to do this writing or photography or, yeah. you know, but what I would say and this is part of your craft, you know, and doing what you do and being so skilled at what you do, like how critical it was to be working with someone like you, like who Mm. actually you were getting into places that I was just like, like it was happening quite Mm. naturally, but I'm like, how are you getting in there? Like (laughs) you're dealing with ice queen here. (laughs) With ice queen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I think... (laughs) It's the choice to be present to each other, isn't it? Like to, um, once again, to sit in, uh, like for me, it comes back to exactly again, what we were talking about with creativity socially in the the broader world and what creativity brings in terms of filling that space. Like that's what we bring to each other and what creativity Mm. brought to you. Was it Mm. that space that could have been, inside you as you said ice queen volatile could like just like you had the clergy and the um and the survivors in that room inside you was like this what could have imploded exploded and did at times probably etc etc creativity comes into that space through the work that you've done through telling the story like that process of getting your story out of you kind of did what creativity is always meant to do to mm. bring that healing in that space mm. that that it's so needed. Mm. What a beautiful thing. Yeah. But bringing it in in ways like even though I felt like literally you this course was like defrosting me. Yeah. But it was doing it in it's ways. It's a good plug for the course. Do the yeah, course, you guys. Do, do, do the course. clearing If the you're forest. feeling like you're an ice queen lady. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, it was defrosting you. Yeah. But it was in, it was super gentle mm. is the thing. But there was just so much permission giving. Mm. So you were being, you're intentional in what you're doing. Yeah. But what you, and I was reading the reflections of other people in the course, obviously. Mm. And I was like, wow, like, it's amazing mm. when you give people permission and an invitation and you sort of say it's okay it's okay to feel shit it's okay like just put it out there you know and but in that very safe kind of community yeah (laughs) 
So bringing this into land, yeah. um, what it like? Because the, there will be a number of listeners who possibly have gone through IVF, possibly have lost children, or know like people who have felt that grief and that loss, or who might be in the midst of it right now. What do you, what do you say to them? couple of things I think I th- you know especially with IVF and babies and all that like where it's two people you know like you might be going through IVF by yourself and if you are you're amazing mm. um but like it real like you can even during that process you can get and this was the, the thing with me by the time I'd got arrived at the end of the journey I was so numb mm. because I still wasn't like I wasn't present like the more layers of like kind of compounding grief the less present I became so by the time I arrived at the end of it I was just totally frozen Mm. so whether that's with your partner or not like I wish I had been journaling at least yeah at like through the process like I really I wasn't really talking about it. I was just doing it. Mm. You know, we were just kind of going through the motions. Mm. Like, um, I wasn't reflecting back on what I was actually going through. So I kind of got to the end of it and it was like, I then had to go back and unpack it all. Mm. (laughs) Unpack it all. Um, One of the really important things for me as a woman, um, and I share this uh, openly and honestly mm. was that because I felt so much lack of control yeah. over my body post marriage break down. Um, I found this really helpful to actually connect physically with myself mm. and back to your own body, back to my own body yeah, and without partner, like without, you know, just, yeah, I had, it's not like, I think I just, sort of felt like I was at war with my body. Like I, I During was, this I whole was process. angry at it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm like, I'm yeah. angry. It won't do what I want it to do. And, you know, why Why sort of won't it? But, you know, so physically, like, your intimacy suffering and, like, it was really important for me post-marriage breakdown, post-IVF, to actually get in touch with my own body. Yeah. There was a war going on yeah. between me and my body. And yeah. it's like that the only way for me to kind of get through that before I enter into another relationship. Yeah. Um, yeah. I needed to, to do that. Peace, reconnect To, to make, make peace, peace myself with, that, yeah. with my body and reclaim my own body. Yeah. Um, because it is such a process of like handing it over. Yeah. And I know women say that when they fall pregnant and have a baby, like, you know, yeah. you hand your body over. And I think, the thing is with IVF though, you hand your body over, yeah. over depending on how many rounds you do, but you hand it over, over and over and mm. over again. Mm. But when you don't get the joy, mm. it's mm. a different thing because I've never been through labor and I can never speak to that and that experience. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't even try it. But, um, at, you know, you, you do get the back, you know, you... yeah. You get to a point where you get the joy, yeah, and the joy is bloody hard work, oh. as 
my friends tell me like you know (laughs) we get the joy but then we get like a lifetime of hard work after that joy but um you know I think for me it was just like I'm handing my body over and you don't get that joy like there was nothing joyful yeah at the end of two rounds of that yeah so reclaiming your body one of the ways you did that really to finish up yeah um maybe let's finish with this story as part of reclaiming was you have a tattoo on your arm now yeah yeah which tell us tell us briefly about that too because that's physically putting putting this thing on you forever that cover that kind of encapsulates all that we've been talking about yeah um so as part of that writing process you know you we one of the last assignments, you know, we craft a story. Like yeah. over the over the period, like the 20 lessons, like in the end we craft a story. And, um, yeah, you and I were going through having conversation and we got into the conversation about naming the baby. Yeah. Right? And Whether, you, whether, whether you I had named the baby. Yeah. And I remember... Well, how, maybe, and it was probably big, it was how, how, how would you grieved... Yeah, like was there yeah. something that you did to grieve after that? Yeah, yeah, and I, I was, I would think I was telling you like, I wanted to name the baby, and I'd had another friend who'd had a miscarriage, and like different women do it in different ways. Yeah. Like I know, yeah, and depending on how far through the pregnancy people are, like if yeah. it's like, you know, right at the later stages, people will have like a little box and a yeah, name, yeah. and like depending on that kind of stuff. But um, one of the things my um ex-partner didn't believe in was I had said I want to name the baby Mm. and just he just wasn't really interested in having that conversation yeah and I remember like it really kind of gutted me at the time and I always said oh well I'll name it anyway I just won't tell you yeah um but again not something you want to like you'd rather be on the same page about yeah yeah. (laughs) anyway so you and I got into a chat and you know we're talking about that and I was saying I well I didn't actually end up doing that because it was just a different experience for both of us. From memory, I remember us being in the same room. I think you were editing the story and we were having this conversation. Yeah. And um, and we were like, no, that's actually a really critical part of yeah. like, like the grieving process yeah. and the story. Yeah. And so I decided to name the baby and you and I were talking about, you know, in the love and the loss, um, there's been an awakening of my spirit. Mm. And so naming the baby like post the event was talking about well what is what does this now represent moving forward Mm. and what is what is the life that will come out of that loss Mm. you know and that's sort of what we're talking about and so in the story I'm talking about you know there's an awakening in my spirit and a search for truth and a desire for meaning and connection um it's only recently I came to name the baby and we talked about the baby name as Chime. We were talking about it and we were saying like uh, in Hebrew they say... Lachaim. Lachaim. Like when yeah. they cheers, like they cheers to life, yeah. right? Yeah, And um, Lachaim. And so when we when I looked it up, it said, you know, Chime, like yeah. spelt C-H-A-Y-I-M. Yeah. We came to name the baby at that point in time and it was like... That's what that tattoo says mm. in um, Hebrew. Wow. Um, and the reason for the butterfly, obviously, it was a little boy. Mm. Uh, and it's just, for me, it is so important that that is on my body because 
it was a significant part of the journey to where I am now. Yeah. Um, it represents that experience, but it also like to life mm. in all of these losses in life. Like, and when you were saying to me, you know, when people are in the midst of it, what would you say? Mm. And it's like, you won't be there forever. Mm. And it feels like forever. Yeah. When you're in it. And it, if I could say anything, it's like life is coming. Like we all have hard things in our life, but we don't camp in them. Mm. And that is part of the process. So for me, it's like I want that on my body, yeah. whether I have a child or not. Yeah. In the future, like I did, I did have a, I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I just, you know, life didn't come forward out of me. Yeah. But. I won't forget that experience, yeah. you know, and yeah. I won't forget what that meant. And yeah, but to life, to life, like out of yeah. the loss, In there all is of life. Its aching pain and delicious hope. Yep, I'm. I've no doubt. There's more aching pain and delicious hope yes. coming in life. Yeah. Um, but I think going through this writing, like. You know, it was intentional to come and do the course yeah. for this reason, yeah. you know, and the healing that's brought forward in me. And no, I'm not like off writing novels or anything <laughs> <laughs> or like, you yeah. know, like I'm not the next like amazing acclaimed writer out there. But um, it is so, who cares? Yeah. So see what it's life- wonderful. Laura, like having you on here and hearing this story and seeing how you wrote your way into bravery and courage and freedom and to who you are now is hugely inspirational. Um, thank you for sharing all of the, so much of your story, like in terms of all that, all that you've been doing in this world to try to help people going through massive amounts of trauma to your own trauma and how creativity has spoken into that. I, I know so many of our listeners will be hugely moved so um thank you for being yeah. on the deep place to life to life like cheers, cheers. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me and you know thank you for being so gifted mm. at like just creating that space for people mm. because i know and all your listeners and anyone who's done your writing or who's seen you perform mm. You, you don't walk away ever unmoved mm. or, mm. you know, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>